0: My name is Sonia Brock, and I'm podcasting from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. There once was a union maid who never was afraid. of the goons and ginks and the company pinks and all those boys that hung around the bosses went to the union hall when a meeting it was called. And when the time came on to boot, you'd hear her say, Oh, you can't scare me, I'm sticking to the union, I'm sticking to the union, I'm sticking to the union. No, you can't scare me, I'm sticking to the union, I'm sticking to the union, till the day I die. My early years were filled with reading. I was an omnivorous reader. I read any and everything. Two books that radicalized me were Thorstein Veblen's Theory of the Leisure Class and Ethel Manon's Comrade O Comrade. From the latter, I determined that anarchism was the best brand. When I got to New York City's Lower East Side in the 60s, well before it became gentrified, I sought out and joined an anarchist group called the Libertarian League. Affiliated with this group was a relic of early American unionism, the IWW, also known as the Wobblies. And this group was spearheaded by Sam Weiner. From Sam and the others, I learned to venerate unionism. It became self-evident that the means of production should be in the hands of the workers. If I had known then what I know now, my view of unions might not have been so rosy. These were primarily armchair anarchists, long on theory but short on practice. From them I learned that the end does not justify the means. And long after I left New York, I carried this belief into all my future endeavors. The IWW, or Industrial Workers of the World, felt that Worker control, the means of production, was the way to a true anarchist society where none would lead but all would participate. The unspoken belief was that man was basically good, and if not tied down by external forces, folks would head in the right direction. Doing the right thing in a morally correct way was very important. They were idealists and so I became an idealist too. Dirty tricks, lies, and bullying were not acceptable tactics. In opposition to the communists, for instance, we did not believe that a worthy end justified unworthy ways of achieving it. I was in the group just before and in the time of the civil rights movement in the United States. Seemed like, Everyone I knew then was seeking higher moral ground. When I came back to Canada, I ended up working for a group affiliated with government. At that time, there were many support staff, secretaries and such. Bubbling under during the years that I worked there was a grievance identified as pay equity. Support staff were not receiving equal pay for equal work. We were living in the tail end of a top-down paternal system which assumed that women would be paid less no matter what they did. Now, this was a very just cause, no question about it. There was unfairness, and it was not being addressed. I went to many union meetings and listened to this and listened to that. As we geared up to strike, I watched the propaganda machine. It was propaganda. I received all kinds of encouragement to go on strike, and I was debating the matter in my head. There were certain people that fell into an area between management and support staff whose positions were covered by the Union. Some of these folks did not support the strike for reasons of their own to which I was not privy. One of these was a friend of mine, originally from Czechoslovakia, and she had been the recipient of the attentions of the Soviet Union during the ill-fated 1968 Prague Spring Movement. The Soviet forces invaded Czechoslovakia to crush this pro-democracy movement. Certain members of the Union in my own workplace, and I'm not saying that the whole Union supported this, were phoning those who refused to go on strike and threatening them. My friend got such a call. Her children were there, and one of them answered the phone. This child was threatened with reprisals by a union member because his mother was a bad woman who was going to cross the picket line. My friend told me about this. She said, These people are amateurs. I've been bullied by professionals by which she meant the Soviets. I could not take a lighthearted view of this. And this was not the only instance of this kind of bullying. There were others who were threatened with nastiness. Must we still be slaves and work for wages? It is outrageous, has been for ages for this earth, by right, belongs to toilers, and not to spoilers of liberty. As I said before, in my mind, morally, the end does not justify the means. Without question, the cause of the strike was just. Unfairness needed to be addressed. This needed to be sorted out, but I could not support their tactics. I could not. I could not. I could not support their tactics. Bullying was wrong. I made a decision. I would cross the line. Cross the line I did. I was faced daily by a screaming mob as I tried to go to work. They never jostled me or physically assaulted me. It was all verbal. These were the people I worked with and their supporters from other shops. They were standing there screaming in my face as I tried to get in the door. I turned around and retreated. They followed me, almost chasing me. So I stopped and faced them again, and they moved back. It struck me then that they were cowards. At one point they were blocking the door with their bodies. I was nose to nose with one who was closest to the door handle. While they were screaming at me, a businessman walking by in his suit with his briefcase stopped and said, leave her alone. They heard that more than anything they might have heard from me. Obviously a meeting was held because the next day there was no more screaming. They just turned their backs on me as I walked in. Later I was told to use an entrance at the other end of the building, where some of the folks I worked closely with were stationed. There I had some name calling SCAB and so forth. Management had to escort me in those doors when that became the entrance, a job they did not relish. Inside, perhaps by coincidence, the air conditioning had gone off, so there was no air circulation, and no one would come to repair it. This was in a closed building and the air became very dead and muggy, unpleasant to breathe and hot, since this was in the summertime. Everything was deathly quiet. I had to sit at my computer and do what work there was, not too much of that, until the allotted time for doing this work was over. Things had ground to a standstill due to the strike. I helped with some technical stuff, accessing data and so forth, which I could do because I'm a demi-geek. I was not very happy. I was quite shaken. I would go into a washroom stall and meditate on a pillar of light and try to armor myself against all the animosity. It wasn't easy. When, finally, the long strike was over, And they won. Working with those who had gone on strike was not easy either. For the next several years, as long as I worked there, I experienced some animosity. Some folks gradually mellowed. The diehard Union people certainly did not. So I wasn't best beloved. But I was what I was, and some of them came to accept that. I never told them why I had crossed the line. It involved another person and my reaction to the telephone bullying. And I just figured they did not have the ears to hear me, so I said nothing. I just kept it to myself, and gradually the wounds healed over. I'm not too big on moral stands, but in this instance, I had to cross the line. We meet today in freedom's cause and raise our voices high. We'll join our hands in union strong to battle or to die. Hold the fort, for we are coming. By side, we battle onwards. Victory will come. I can be reached through my website at soniabrock.com. S O N I A B R O C K.